with you and uh, to see some familiar faces, uh, say hello to some folks that my wife Jenny and I, who's also here with me, haven't been able to see in quite a while. So thank you for, for receiving us today. Uh, there was an old man who was in the closing years of his life, and uh, he lived all alone in New Jersey. And he wanted to plant his annual tomato garden, but it was very, very difficult work because, as you know, the ground gets very hard after lying dormant all winter. And his only son, Vincent, who used to be the one that would always help him, Vincent wasn't around anymore because Vincent was now in prison. And so the old man, he he wrote a letter to his son to describe his predicament. Dear Vincent, I'm feeling pretty sad because it looks like I won't be able to plant my tomato garden this year. I'm just getting too old and digging up uh, to be able to be digging up a garden plot. You know, I know that if you were here, all of my troubles would be over. I know you'd be happy to dig the ground for me, just like in the old days. Love, Papa. Well, a few days later, the father, he received a letter from his son. Dear Pop, don't dig up that garden. That's where the bodies are buried. Love, Vinny. What, 5 a.m. the next morning... Sirens blaring, lights flashing, FBI agents and the local police, they swooped in and they dug up the entire area without finding any bodies. They apologized to the old man and left. And that same day, the man received another letter from his son. Dear Pop, go ahead and plant the tomatoes now. That's the best I could do under the circumstances. Love, Vinny. Does anybody here have a garden? Anybody here like to garden? A few of you? Yep. There's nothing quite like the taste of fresh, right-off-the-vine tomatoes or sweet corn right off the stalk. But gardening, it is. It's a lot of work, isn't it? It's hard to prepare the soil to get it just right. After we've been working for a while, our backs are crying out for some Advil because we've spent a few hours bent over working with the seeds or maybe planting the bulbs in the, in the landscaping beds and The weeds seem to grow faster than we can yank them out. And there's the need then to water the garden uh, if if there's not enough rain and to keep the bugs out. Gardening is just, it's a lot of work. Uh, But I'll bet that in spite of it being a lot of work, probably most of us in this room today, we've we've done a little bit of work this summer, uh, gardening. Uh, Whether it be on veggies or maybe you have some flowers that you like to take care of in the spring or maybe some fruit trees. Probably all of us have put in a little bit of sweat equity into some landscaping or mulching, or maybe we've hired someone, or maybe we've asked a a grandson or granddaughter to come and help us out. Whatever it was that we've done, we've we've done a lot of effort into keeping our yards and our gardens nice and neat and clean and tidy. One day, Jesus used gardening as a teaching tool. Gardening is nothing new to to our generation, to our day and time, to our culture. It was something very common in Jesus' day as well. And so one day he used gardening as a teaching tool. And specifically, he was talking about a garden that grows vines, a vineyard, a a grape arbor, we would call it. And Jesus used this illustration of of a vine and a vineyard because he was trying to paint a word picture to 11 of his apostles at, at a very key time in his ministry. And it was right at the moment, right before Jesus was about to return to heaven. And Jesus knew that he literally had minutes left, and not, not days, but minutes, maybe a couple hours left, before he needed to turn loose on the world his closest followers. 
And he wanted to make sure that he knew this one fact. He wanted to make sure that his followers knew that his expectation of them was that they were to be productive. They were to be productive. He expected them to be fruitful in continuing his mission of turning people back to God. He wanted them to have abundant lives. And Jesus expects the very same of you and of me today. He expects the same of you and I. He expects us to be fruitful, to be productive in fulfilling his mission. And he expects us to live abundant lives. You and I, were here today as a product of someone else understanding that. Understanding that God expected that of them. Understanding that God expected them to be productive. Someone told you about Jesus. And they poured into you and they helped you grow into Christ. And now you are here today because you are following Jesus. And the message really is the same to you. Just as someone else poured into you, the Lord expects you to be pouring into others. He expects you to be fruitful, to be productive in fulfilling his mission. And he he expects that of us, to live those abundant lives. I can think of people like Peggy Heilman, John Wilson, Jane Wilson, Steve White, Larry Snavely, Uh, Louis Weber, Dean Carey, my parents, some of you that are actually sitting in this room, you poured into my life when I was was a young child or when I was a teenager. There were countless men and women and family from a a good church family that poured into me in my life. And I'm sure you can go through a a list of names in your own mind of the people, if you think about the people that poured into your lives as well. We, We all share similar stories There were people who were living their lives on mission for God. They were living that abundant life, and they poured into you. And so now it's our turn to be pouring into others as well. Because the fact is, just like Jesus was about to turn loose onto the world, these men who were following him, he wants to turn you loose into the world, since you are now following him as well. He expects us to have abundant lives. So now that we've set the stage a little bit, let's look at this word picture of the vine that Jesus uses to communicate. Let's look at this story a little bit. Jesus is only going to teach 11 of the 12 right now because one has already abandoned him. And what Jesus is going to teach in this is he's going to teach first a lot about his own identity. He's going to make some declarations about who he is. And Jesus' words will will be a hint to them and also a teaching moment to us about who he claims to be. A second thing that's included in this passage in John chapter 15 is that Jesus is going to give a pretty strong warning. He's going to prepare them for some difficult things that are going to come in their lives. And he's going to use this word picture to, to, to help them be prepared for those difficult moments when life gets hard. And then he's also going to have some words for them that are very encouraging, that are going to give hope to, to them. These were a group of men who were used to trying and failing And I think you and I can identify with that as well. Our lives are filled with trying and failing, aren't they? Jesus is going to tell them how to try and succeed. And hopefully you and I can grab a hold of that lesson today as well. So let's let's start to look at this story. Jesus is, is here. He's talking with his 11 closest friends about a vine. He has this conversation with them on his last night of of freedom right before, uh, just a few hours right before he's going to be arrested and condemned and hung on a cross. And earlier that night, they'd gotten together to to celebrate a Passover meal, and Jesus had told them for the 
in no uncertain terms, he was getting ready to die. He, he, he made it very clear that he only had a little bit of time left. He told them that he was like the sacrificial lamb that they were eating and their Passover meal. He spent some time initiating a ceremony, a, a ceremony of remembrance that you and I just celebrated as well, communion, the Lord's Supper. He had just washed his disciples' feet, and he had just been abandoned by one of his close, dear friends, Judas. And Jesus knew that the clock was ticking on his time left, and he really wants to just hammer down this important lesson to them in these final, final minutes. And, and we don't really know, but perhaps it's easy to imagine. Perhaps they had just left the upper room, and perhaps they were walking on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus would spend some time in prayer before being arrested. And on their way there, they would have passed through some vineyards, they would have passed through some garden, area, some garden areas. And Jesus starts in with this lesson. And Jesus tells them in John 15, verses 1 through 5, we start to see it. He tells them about three different jobs that, that have to happen in the garden. Three different jobs done by three different people in the garden. If you have your Bibles, read along with me in John 15, 1 through 5. This is what Jesus says. I'm the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more. You've already been pruned and purified by the message I've given you. So remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So the first job that Jesus points out in the garden is, is his own job. He points out his own job. This is Jesus' job. He says, I am the true vine. This is one of those key I am statements in the Bible that Jesus makes about himself, where he makes a very strong declaration about who he is. He's giving us a hint of his identity. And he's saying, I'm not just another human being. I, I, am a, I am divine. And so Jesus says there with this statement, he says that his job in the garden is to be the vine. Now what is it that he means by that? That's kind of weird. How, do you be, how can you be a vine? Well, what does a vine do for a plant? A vine, a vine gives it juice, doesn't it? it? I'm sure it's more scientific than that, but that's how I'll just call it. It gives it juice. It keeps it connected to the roots. The vine lets the, the plant suck up the, the water and the minerals and whatever that stuff is that they put in miracle grow. It's the juice from the vine. That's what makes the fruit grow. And so Jesus says here that his job is to be the source of juice, of nourishment in your life and in my life to make us grow and to make us be productive. You know what happens to a branch that isn't connected to the vine? When it doesn't get the juice from the plant? It shrivels up, doesn't it? And eventually it dies. We can't have life, abundant life, without the juice. But to get to the juice, we need the vine. Have you ever experienced, uh, maybe, maybe in this life, firsthand, what it's like to live without the juice? Could you raise your hand if you've ever been in a time where there's been a power outage, maybe, for an extended amount of time, you know, more than at least a couple hours? Any of you lived through that? Not, not a very fun time, isn't it? There, uh, uh, you know, when the power goes out, we don't have the juice, do we? And, and if you think back, what's life like uh, when you don't have that? Was, was your life, would you describe it in those days or in the, those weeks? Was it 
Would you describe it as abundant or would you describe it as productive or fruitful? Most people would probably describe it as a mess, right? But when there's no power or the food, it gets, it gets ruined and it gets wasted, doesn't it? And we stress about that and that's frustrating. It's hard to cook if you don't have, if you don't have power. And so if you're a man, you probably got very grumpy very fast because that's what we men tend to do when we, when we don't get to eat when we want to eat, right? There was no air conditioning. And if it, was, if it was in the summer, it was very hot. And that kind of puts people on edge. Maybe if it happened in the winter, you got very cold very fast. And that made you a little, a little on edge as well. Lo and behold, you know, today in, in, in our time of modern conveniences, if we don't have power, we, we may not have cell service, right? Where would we be without our cell phones? Where it would be hard to, to communicate with people. Um, maybe all of our entertainment choices are gone. If we're not people that like reading books anymore, it, it's hard. We, we lose all of our entertainment choices. Uh, the last time where we had a long, a long power outage, I can remember walking around the house constantly flipping on light switches just because I, I was used to it. I'd walk into a room and just out of habit, I'd flip on a light switch, but to no avail, right? Because there was no, there was no juice connected to the, to the lights. Maybe some of you in that, in that time when you lost power, maybe you, you have a well. Very likely you went without water for a while as well. Maybe it got a little smelly in your house. You see, when we don't have the power, without the juice, our life is, is unproductive and unpleasant. And it's the same way for you and I as followers of Jesus. We, we need juice. We need the power to live an abundant, fruitful, and good life. And we can only get that when we're connected with Jesus, whose job it is, is to be the vine. One important thing that Jesus says here is that he's not just any vine, he's the true vine. He's not a false one. He's not an alternative one. He's the true vine. And Jesus is saying, you know, people people can try and connect to lots of different vines in this life. They can go to to other places to look for for power. Some people try other religions, but Jesus says he's the only way, the only truth, and the only life. Some people, they try to produce fruit in their life or juice in their life. They try to tap into the power of, of a fruitful life by working 80 hours a week. They look for for power in climbing the corporate ladder. Some people look through power through social status. They they want to just be with the the popular people, the well-connected people, or the the people of influence. Or maybe teenagers today, maybe some adults as well, they they, uh, focus themselves on getting likes on social media and becoming an up-and-coming Instagram star or a famous YouTuber. Other people think that they can get, get power and have a fruitful life just by dedicating themselves to athletic achievement or, or, or they load themselves full of, of an already hectic schedule by trying to get their kids to become the next professional athlete. Maybe people are looking for power through fame. But the point is this. There's lots of other power sources we can try and connect to. But the only true vine, Jesus says... The only power source that will actually deliver and thus is is worth our our effort in connecting to is Jesus. So the question for you and for me today is, what is the vine you're tapped into? What's your power source? After college, my my wife and I, we moved to Honduras. We served as missionaries there with with Lifeline Christian Mission for for 10 years. And a couple of years ago, um, we we returned to to the States uh, for grad school, and I got a job ministering at at a local church. But... Um, 
uh, after that, that time of study and, and working here at a local church, a couple years ago, I started to work with Lifeline again. And I work out of their office over in Westerville, over in Columbus. And um, in that first stint of working with Lifeline uh, back a number of years ago, I met a man named Francisco. And Francisco, he, he worked with Lifeline as a teacher and as a principal. And Francisco, like many Hondurans, he faced many obstacles in his life. There were many day-to-day challenges that he had. You know, some of them uh, were that he, he lived in a pretty rough neighborhood. There was a lot of crime in the neighborhood he lived in. He had some family dysfunction. Some of his, his older kids um, filled his life with lots of stress by their choices and, and by, by the way that they, that they lived. He faced a number of severe health problems. He always seemed to struggle financially, even though he was very, very careful as a spender. There were just a lot of things in Francisco's life that, as I looked at them, I thought, he really ought to be a discouraged guy. He, he really ought to be a person that you would think would be negative or, or, or bitter. Or, or you would think he would, he would blame other people or blame God. But in my, all of my interactions with Francisco, I never saw any of that. He, he was always very cheerful. He was always very positive, and he was always focused on serving God. And I, I wondered how it was that he dealt with so much adversity in a positive way. And after several years of working together, I started to notice something as I observed him. And I, I think I figured it out. Every afternoon, after work, after he finished his work day, Francisco, he would go to his porch with a cup of coffee and his Bible. And he didn't tell me about that. I just, I just noticed as over a course of several years, every time I would show up in the afternoon, around the same time, there he would be on his porch with his coffee and with his Bible. And it usually was around 3 or 4 o'clock, and there he was, caffeine and quiet time with God. And even after he was retired and I would go back to, to visit him, it was always the same. He, he had this daily routine, and in that daily routine, he, he, he found out how to be connected with the vine. And his life showed a huge difference. He, he lived fruitfully. He lived abundantly. We could learn a lot from Francisco. Back to the passage, we saw the first job in the garden is that of Jesus. He's the vine. He's the true vine. The second job in the garden, if you look in verses 1 and 2, is is God the Father's job. This is what it says. Jesus says, I'm the true grapevine. My father is, the the second job, the gardener. My father's the gardener. This is what the gardener does. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do not bear fruit, so they'll produce even more. So God's job is to be the gardener, and this verse says that he has two tasks in the garden. To cut off the the branches that are dead and fruitless, and to prune the good branches, so that they'll be even more fruitful than they already are. I don't know if you noticed, but both of those jobs involve sharp objects and lots of cutting. That, That sounds painful, doesn't it? That's what Jesus describes God's job as in this case. So what is it about these dying and fruitless branches? Maybe, maybe you have seen one of those, a branch that's cut off and thrown into the fire. Jesus and the eleven had, they, they had just seen, they had just had dinner with a dead branch. His name was Judas, and he'd been one of their own. He'd seen Jesus walk on the water and feed the 5,000. He was there with Jesus when Lazarus was raised from the dead. He'd traveled with them for three years, doing everything they'd done, seeing All of those things, all of those amazing things that Jesus did. And Judas even had a special position among this group of 12 apostles. He was their treasurer. 
But here he was, a dead, a dead branch, cut off and thrown into the fire. Something had happened to Judas at some, some point inside of him. Some sort of a switch flipped, and he chose to disconnect himself from Jesus. And he quit believing in him and his mission. It probably didn't happen overnight. It probably wasn't something Jesus, sorry, Judas yelled out in a moment of anger, Jesus, I'm done with you. I no longer believe in you. It probably wasn't that. It was something that through his own choosing, he slowly withdrew from the master and he quit believing in him. He was disappointed for, in Jesus and he wasn't connected with him anymore. And Judas became a dead branch and fruitless. And so God the gardener cut off the dead branch and threw him into the fire of judgment. Sometimes I wonder if any of the other apostles, any of the other 11, if they were ever tempted to go the way of Judas, to partner with him, to also abandon Jesus completely. Surely there had to have been others that were disappointed in, in Jesus, that he hadn't become the, the political ruler that they expected. Now here Jesus was telling them now that he was about to die. And they must have been thinking, what does that mean for me? If you're going to die, I, I've been your follower. I've dedicated three years of my life to you. I've, I've wasted all of that time following you. You know, if you put yourself in their, in their sandals, maybe you've given up everything for him, your job, your family, your connections, your home, your reputation. They sacrificed it all to follow him, and now it looks like the one that they'd been trusting in and the one they've been banking on is everything's about to go up and smoke and He's going to be killed and they'll very quickly be put in a position where they have to choose between him and something that maybe is more convenient for them. That must have been a powerful temptation that they, that they, that they endured. Should I stick with Jesus or should I give, give up on him? They must have thought that probably many times. And maybe some of us have, have been at that point as well in our lives at times where we've thought that. God, you didn't save my marriage. Why should I stick with you? God, those people in the church, they hurt me. Why should I want anything more to do with you, God? You know, my career, it can really take off now, but I can't dedicate myself both to it and to, to pursuing you. Which, which one should I choose? And if that's where, where you are, Jesus' warning to them is the same to us. He, he says that he's the, the only true vine, and there's no salvation apart from him. So the father cuts off the dead branches. His other task in the garden is that he does is to prune the good branches to make them even better. Does anybody here uh, know what, what suckers are? You heard of suckers? Not, not dum-dums, not Tootsie Pops, not lollies, not the bad driver that cut you off or the con man that ripped you off. I'm, I'm talking about the, the things called suckers that grow on plants, especially on tomato plants. They're these little sprouts that grow out of the spot where there's, there's two branches that come together in a tomato plant, and right in the middle, these little sprouts come out. They're called suckers. And if you leave the suckers there, they'll grow into another full-sized branch on your, on your plant. But the, the reality is your plant doesn't really need them. Your tomato doesn't really need them. And the truth is they can end up hurting your tomato crop. And it's because they suck the juice out of the vine that should be going or could be going to make bigger and better tomatoes. And so if you leave the suckers there, if you leave them in the middle, you get this bigger plant, this bushier plant. But the end result is less tomatoes and smaller tomatoes. So if you go around and you pluck out the suckers, or if you prune them, the plant isn't as impressive, but you end up with bigger, better tomatoes. Suckers steal the good stuff, 
from the vine. And that's why a gardener prunes his plants. He, he cuts off the suckers so that the good stuff can go right to the fruit. Are, are there any suckers in your life? Now, don't point to anybody sitting next to you, right? What are some of the kinds of things that distract your attention, that distract your focus away from God? What are the kinds of things that you worry about? Those might be the suckers in your life, the things that you worry about. Chances are that's the area that God is going to prune you about. I, I want to share with you one of, the, one of the, uh, the suckers that I sometimes have in my life. And I'll just share an experience from a number, a number of years ago. Sometimes I play the what-if game with God. A few summers ago, I was at a convention, and, and I was really excited to, to go to this convention, especially once I got there and realized they were going to give away a brand-new car. It was a Ford, uh, a Ford Expedition. They were giving it away for free to, to one of the people who were present at the convention. There were only like 7,000 people at this convention. And you think a brand-new car and 7,000 people, that's... That's pretty good odds, right? That's, that's not, not all that bad. And I was really excited because I knew that, that God was, had his chance now. God had his opportunity to bless me in a way that I really, I really needed to be blessed. And I thought, God, this is awesome. There are, these are great odds. Now's your chance. You can give me this, this new car that I need. God, this is even better than the lottery. You know, you, this isn't even going to be complicated for you. And you can do it, and I don't even have to buy a lottery ticket because, you know, people really tend to look down on ministers that, that, that play the lottery, you know. So I reminded God how old my car was. I, I reminded him how many times it had broken down in the last year and how bad that oil leak was getting, and I started to play if only. God, if, you, if only you let them draw my name. You know what's going to happen? I won't be worried about money anymore. I'm worried about my, my car right now because it's, it's dying, and I'm worried about it, and I... That, that is something that, that occupies my mind, and it's hard for me to trust you there. And God, if only you would give me this car, let them draw my name, I won't worry about that anymore. I won't have to worry about that. I'll be able to trust you like, like never before. Do you ever play that game with God? You say, if, if only. God, if only I get this job, I'll, I'll be okay, and I'll feel more secure, and that's when I'll give you more. That's when I'll, I'll sacrifice more and give to you. God, if, if only you give me the man or the woman of my dreams, then I can just relax and settle down and I'll be able to, to volunteer to do more things for you. Or maybe you play a, a similar game, the, the whenever game with God. God, whenever you give me good health again, that, then that's when I'll be more dedicated to you. I'll, I'll focus more time on you. God, whenever you bring my wayward child back to you, then I'll forgive the other person for what they did. And we play these, these games, if only, whenever. And we try to bargain with God, don't we, to get what we want. We, we try to negotiate with him. But when we play those games with God, he, he sees that something's growing in our hearts and something is actually standing in the way of an abundant and fruitful life. And we're diverting the flow of that, that juice, that power from the true vine to live fruitfully. And so pruning is one of the ways that God deals with that, with you and with me, to help us grow, to help us become more abundantly. And pruning hurts. There's no doubt about that. But God does it for our greater good. For our greater good. In some places, the Bible calls this pruning discipline. Hebrews 12, verses 5 through 11 says this. 
My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline, the pruning, and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines or prunes those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, this divine pruning, remember that God is treating you as his own children. For your earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years. They pruned us, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline or pruning is good for us, always good for us. Why? So that we might share in his holiness. No discipline or pruning is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. There's a couple different kinds of discipline, aren't there? There's, there's corrective discipline. That's what happens when we do something wrong and we have to face consequences for it, for our own choices. But the other kind of discipline, which I think this is what Jesus is talking about here, is preventive discipline. And that's what I think pruning is. Sometimes God prevents us. He prevents us from having our own way, from getting what we want. Because he knows in his wisdom there's a better way. Maybe he sees something down the road, some danger that's waiting for us if we get what we want or the way we want it. Maybe, maybe God thinks, Joel, maybe God thought of me when I was asking for that car. Joel, what in the world are you asking for that? Do you, do you know what the taxes are on a new car? You know, I, I have something so much better for, for you to offer you if you just wait. I think really what was happening there is my dream was too small. A new car sounds like a big dream, doesn't it? But I think it was actually too small. I think what God was trying to teach me was that, Joel, if I give you a new car, you're settling for something that's going to break down. And it's going to rust in a few years. And really the alternate that I want to give you is I want to give you a solid, trusting heart that survives the storms, not of a few years, but the storms of a lifetime. The storms of a lifetime. What I was asking for was something temporal, something material. I think what God wanted to give me is something that won't break down, something that will last and that won't rust. And so sometimes God doesn't want us to settle for what's good because he wants to give us something much better and much more everlasting. And so he goes along and he prunes us and he goes snip, snip, and he redirects us to have to depend upon him more from the get-go. And the result, the end result, is better fruit and more abundance in our life. Uh, there's, there's a question I'd just like to ask you. How do you respond when you're in one of those moments where God is giving you preventive discipline in your life? Or where you feel like he's pruning you? When you're faced with another obstacle or a challenge that's hard to, hard to deal with. How do you respond? I, re I read something that's helped me through life uh, from an author named John Ortberg. And... and this is a really appropriate time to talk about this. Uh, this week, your children or your grandchildren, if you have them, will be going back to school, right? And what's the, what's the posture of a student when they go to school? Or what's the attitude that they go there? What's their expectation? They expect to learn something, don't they? They expect to kind of sit there under a teacher and they expect that the teacher is going to, to teach them something. What if you and I as adults even though maybe we don't go to school every day anymore, what if we learn to face obstacles with this, with this phrase in mind? School is in session. Could you say that with me? School is in session. One more time. School is in session. So what I mean, to, what I mean about that is like, is like um, the next time that God's pruning you and you start to feel the pain and it hurts 
What if you said back to God in prayer? Okay, God, school's in session. What is it you're trying to teach me here with this obstacle I'm facing? God, school's in session here. I'm sitting at a position of, of openness to trying to understand what you're trying to teach me. I'm ready to learn from this God. Teach me what you want. Would our approach be any different? Would our attitude be any different? I'd like to challenge you to try that the next time you feel like God is pruning you. The last job in the garden, according to Jesus' metaphor here in John 15, is, is not his job, not God's job. It's your job and my job. And our job actually sounds pretty simple. It's to stay connected to the vine. Jesus says this over and over. If you take notes in your Bible, this would be a really, really neat thing to, to do. John 15, 4 through 10. There are six times that Jesus gives the command, as he's telling this story, to remain in me, or abide in me, or continue in me. If you were to go through and circle those, remain in me, Jesus says. This is our job. Remain in me. That's your job. And I'll remain in you. A branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you what? Unless we remain in him. That's our job. That's our job. Over and over again, it says, remain in me, remain in my love, abide in me, continue in me. Our job is simply to stay connected to the vine, to Jesus. You would think that our job as a branch would be to produce fruit. There's a famous verse that talks about fruitfulness of, of Christian life, Galatians 5, 22. It goes through the fruit of the Spirit, right? It says, the Holy Spirit produces Pay attention there. The Holy Spirit produces, not us. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You would think the impression that we normally have is that our job is to make this kind of spiritual fruit. You would think that one of our jobs would be to love everybody, even our in-laws, right? You, you might think that our job is to be joyful, even, even when someone looked right past my resume yet again. We would assume that our job would, would be to just conjure up peace even when a family member is dying in front of us. You would think that my job is to create patience even though I've already been waiting for years. You would think that my job is to think of the different kind ways to treat my boss even though she only, only tears me down all the time. You would think that I'm supposed to find it in myself to continue faithfully on in this relationship even though they've been unfaithful to me. You would think that it's my job to say no to my addiction, even though it has total control over me. We've all tried that, haven't we? And we've all failed. And it's because it's not our job to produce those things. It's not our job to produce fruit on our own. Let me, let me clarify that, on our own. Look again at Jesus' words, John 15, 5. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from him, we can do nothing. We can't produce spiritual fruit on our own. That's why we've tried at those things in the past when we've tried them alone. That kind of fruit that the Bible talks about, it only comes as a byproduct of our connectedness with, with the Lord. Our own efforts, our own best laid plans, they're doomed to failure unless, unless we're connected to Jesus, the vine. And that's what our job is. It's to stay focused on, connect, on staying connected to Jesus. 
the vine. So instead of connecting, I'm sorry, instead of focusing on the problem, we focus on the problem solver. We give our connection with him priority over even the problems of our life. Matthew 6.33, one of the first verses that we teach little children, is to seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things, all these other worries about life, all these other issues we deal with in life, they'll be given to us as well if we do what? If we first seek his kingdom and his righteousness. If we first focus on the problem solver, not the problem. When we do that, that's when the fruitful living comes naturally, with his efforts and not solely our own. That's when the love and the joy and the patience and the peace and the kindness and the goodness and the faithfulness and the gentleness and the self-control, that's when they appear as fruit in our lives. Not because it was our job to produce them, but because we've been connected to Jesus, because we've remained in him. The story's told of a man who'd hired an experienced guide to lead him on a hike into the Swiss Alps. And after many hours, they came to a very high and, and remote mountain pass. And to the man's dismay, he saw that the path had been almost completely washed out. He didn't know what he could do. To the left was a, a tall 100-foot wall of rocks that went straight up. And to his right, there was a 2,000-foot plunge, a drop-off into the valley. He looked down, and he felt his head start to, to, to spin, and his knees began to buckle. And at that moment, his guide shouted out, Don't look down or you're a dead man. Tie this rope from my waist to yours. Where I put my feet, put yours there as well. The man did as he was instructed, and soon he passed from danger to safety. That's our task as well. In this, living this life, as we walk through this garden, and using that, that story as Jesus told it, is to stay connected to Jesus. He's the one that'll give us the fruit that we want. He's the one that'll help us to, to be productive in this life. He's the one that will help us make a difference, make an impact, but only if we focus on staying connected to him. So remain in Christ, and then when you try those hard things in life, you'll find success. Give your connection with him priority over all your problems, and your life will be fruitful and abundant. Perhaps you've never made that initial decision to connect your life with Jesus. If that is uh, your case and you'd like to talk with somebody about that, I'd like for you to invite you to come down here as together we stand and sing.